Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. I'll probably get killed for saying this, but I have Corona to give away today. Yes, I have. No, no, the other kind, the other kind. Actually, we have another copy of True Love Waits, the brand new album from the Coronas. Uh, to give copies away of that all day today on Cork's 96 FM. You can expect another copy to get give out, as they say, between 10 and 11 this morning. All right, another copy. True Love Waits from the Coronas. Grab it for free all day today, only on Cork's 96 FM. That is between... 10 and 11. But good morning, 1857-15996 is the number, the text to the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I propose in a minute to go through again an updated set of Cork numbers and they have become even more worrying in the couple of days since we did them last. I may tell you now, we are on a worrying upward climb in terms of day-to-day case numbers in Cork. I got the very distinct impression last night from the acting Chief Medical Officer, Dr Ronan Vinn, that he is nervous. We're not contemplating a, a national lockdown as things currently stand. Maybe not, but... We certainly hope that we don't get back to a situation like that. But ultimately, the power to prevent that is in each of our hands as individuals over the coming weeks. And certainly one thing that's not going to happen, the pubs won't be reopening. We need a national focus over the next two weeks on getting the case numbers down, controlling the spread of this disease, and we will keep the reopening of pubs under review. Now, the publicans, I suppose, Michael O'Donovan, you understand the situation. We all must understand the situation. We're worried about the, the upswing. But you also feel a bit left out in the cold again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, um, I suppose, look, <laughs> when we heard it coming from the Chief Medical Officer, or the Acting Chief Medical Officer last night, we were, I suppose, very disappointed. Um, we would have expected to hear an announcement like that, I suppose, coming from the Cabinet meeting today and the, and the Taoiseach uh, announcing it. But when the Chief Medical Officer 
said it last night, I suppose it, it brought it into perspective again that we're not opening next Monday. And I suppose, uh, PJ, the more concerning comments that he said after that piece last night um, was that it could be several more weeks before pubs uh, reopen. And look, we What was unusual, Michael, yesterday was that after Neffet had their meeting, they said what they wanted, rather than doing what they generally do, which give give it to the government. Yes, it, look, that's that's the not look since I suppose March. That's the way it's been uh, operated. And last night was the first, I suppose, time that we saw Neffet coming out and stating these things um, in public at their press conference uh, here to now. It's always been, as you said, the cabinet that announces these things. So look, um, I suppose. Hearing that we're not opening on Monday, it's very disappointing. Yes, look, public health is the number one thing, but I suppose at five and a half months closed now, um, it's getting to a point where we need the Cabinet today to come out with very meaningful supports for our trade. Because What, what kind of supports do you need? Well, we need financial supports, PJ, is quite honest about it. Um, look, for five and a half months, uh, we've still been paying our utility bills. We still have our commercial insurance because all our premises are closed. We still have to hold commercial insurance on them. Um, so most people have been paying this out of their savings for the last five and a half months. Savings isn't infinite, <laughs> unfortunately, for most of us. Um, and yes, we do get the COVID pandemic payment for the vast majority of publicans, but that really is to suffice your home house. Like I can guarantee you, if you're trying to pay for your home house and trying to pay for the bills in your pub, it just doesn't match. So we need the government at this stage to come out with meaningful support today. Piecemeal offerings in some form of support won't suffice today for many publicans. Many have lost the summer trade. It's now well and truly gone. And we're heading into the month of September now again. Look, we don't know what's going to happen. So the, I suppose one of the big concerns for many publicans is the bank moratorium ends in the coming weeks. Yeah. And look, uh, banks will be coming, knocking on doors, making telephone calls, bank managers, uh, looking for how loans are going to be restructured, repaid. Um, it's a really stressful time because if we're not open and we've no income coming in, it's, it's not very hard to do the maths if you've no income coming in and the banks are looking for repayments. I've spoken to very angry publicans. I've spoken to very upset publicans. Now, to a man and woman, they will all say, OK, we get it. We get the need for care. But what's the but, Michael? I suppose the but is, look, our livelihoods are gone, uh, PJ. We can't, look, every other sector of society has been allowed open. And look, we're going to have to probably live with this virus uh, for the forthcoming months. So, like, we know uh, from letters from Neffet to the Cabinet a couple of weeks back what the guidelines will be for the wet pubs to open. So, like, all we've asked for the last six weeks, I think, is for to be given an opportunity to open, see how we can go, put the restrictions in place. Next Wednesday, we know that the Cabinet are bringing um, legislation through the Doyle to give the Gardaí extra powers in regard um, to the policing of guidelines. Um, so look, if, if that's in place, why can't they give us the opportunity to trade and see where it goes from there? Mm. Um, Anecdotally as well, we hear that she-beans are flying it and, and lock, lockouts are flying it. Yeah, look, 
there's plenty of evidence to uh, you, you see it on Facebook and Twitter every day of these parties being organised for the weekends around the country here in Cork we have a, a good few of them but look I think from next Wednesday the Gardaí will have powers to, to intervene in them and the house parties so look I suppose this will probably be the last weekend of them please God um, and I suppose look if people were um, I suppose if, if the Gardaí are seen to, to do that it might crack down on more of them uh, and stop them because look we, we need to get this virus under control to get the numbers under control uh, listening to the chief medical officer if we don't get the numbers under control look I don't know when we'll get open but hopefully if we can get the numbers under control we can get open sooner rather than later and give us an opportunity to get our livelihoods back Okay, I know it's nervous times for for everybody in the trade and for all of those that I know in the trade you know, I'm nervous for you but at the same time wouldn't it be better Michael to to with help, with help stick it out, hold out there until you don't run the risk of opening to be shut again well, yes, that look, that is uh, one part of it. But I suppose, PJ, that hinges on today's cabinet decisions. You know, if we get meaningful supports and we can be supported while we're closed, uh, paying our bills um, and I suppose dealing with the banks, then absolutely that is the scenario. But if the government can't come forward with that, it's a different scenario. I suppose we'll know in the next couple of hours after the cabinet meeting um, and be in a better position to answer that question. But as we stand now, we really need the cabinet to step forward today. Leo Varadkar said it a number of weeks ago um, at our last date on the 10th of August that if pubs weren't open on the 31st of August that uh, the government would have to put supports in place. So we really need him and his fellow ministers now to step up to the plate and support our industry because otherwise a lot of pubs won't survive the winter months. Roughly, Michael, and I know that it's prob- I'm probably asking you off the top of your head, uh, the VFI pubs in Cork City and County, about how many full-time jobs and part-time jobs do they support? Well, look, nationally, the the 3,500 pubs account for 25,000 jobs here in Cork. Look, there's uh, over, say, 650 members of the VFI here in Cork. There's probably about 40% of them open, um, and I suppose it would be somewhere um, somewhere in the region of eight to 10,000 jobs probably here in Cork. Wow, that's a huge number of jobs. Michael, thank you very much. That's Michael O'Donovan uh, from the Vintners Federation, of course, Cork City Public. And also the, on the topic of pubs, is it true the Sexton is getting, uh, Sextant is getting knocked today? Uh, there's some rumours going around Facebook that the Sextant is uh, being knocked down today. Can anybody confirm that? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. How many people in hospital with the virus? Says Catherine on WhatsApp. That's the bottom line. It isn't. It isn't, Catherine. I'll tell you why in about thirty seconds. But what I want to do is go through the figures. Uh, Mary Corcoran had a good piece in the Echo. Mary's been doing great stuff uh, right throughout this. Of course, um, that the, the number of cases in Cork in the month of August is well up. But I went through the fortnightly figures again on the hub the official government hope. Now, if you'll remember, on Monday, or, or, yeah, Monday or Tuesday, I gave you Saturday's official figures, which were the 22nd. So there was a, a, a fortnightly figure of 32 from last Saturday. So let's look at today, which is the 28th of August. All right. So the 28th of August, uh, 43 cases is the fortnightly figure. 43 cases in Cork, city and county, is the official fortnightly figure as of today, the 28th of August. Two weeks ago, on the 14th of August, 
we had 28 cases for that fortnight. Go back into July. We've been doing this for the last couple of weeks just to give people a context of where the case numbers are going in the city and county. On the 28th of July, which is a month ago today, there were 13 cases in the fortnight. All right? 13 cases was the fortnightly 14-day figure for the 28th of July compared to 43 for the 14 on the 28th of August. Go back to June. This is where it gets a little bit scary. The 14-day case numbers for Cork on the 28th of June, according to the official hub, three cases. I double-checked it. I double-checked it when I was going through the graphs this morning. Three cases. So the 28th of June to the 28th of July to the 28th of August. We've gone from three cases to 43 cases. That's a 14 times increase in the number of cases in Cork since the end of June. This is now the end of August. Now, go back into lockdown in April. We'd actually started to come down a bit with 230 cases on the 28th of April. So that's a long time ago now. But from three cases at the end of June, we went to 43 cases this morning. If you were to follow Professor Jerry Killeen's mathematics on this, remember I had Jerry on the other morning, and he was on the television again last night on, on the primetime show. If we were to follow these numbers and this pattern, and this is back of a fag packet maths, but sometimes that works out. If you were to keep going at that rate, we'd be having 600 cases a day, a fortnight in Cork. 600 cases a fortnight in Cork by the 28th of November. We do not, that's back to lockdown numbers. We do not want to go there. Now, to address you, Catherine, with regard to the people in hospital, yes, the numbers of people in hospital are still quite low. Looking at the hub again this morning, uh, it is quite low still. Uh, off the top of my poll, I don't have it, but but the it is quite low, the numbers in hospital. I'll put it from somewhere. Like, but the problem is, and this is the thing, the problem is the cases confirmed today, two weeks ago, whatever, the cases confirmed today, very few of those go near a hospital for maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. So the, the hospital numbers are always a couple of weeks behind the case numbers, and we should remember that. I'm nervous. I, I, I don't mind telling you, I am nervous. Uh, I hope that we don't have to have a second lockdown. I sincerely do. But I, I'm reminded of what Jerry said, Professor Jerry Killeen, the other morning on the opinion line. It was the, in, uh, he did I mean, an interview with us, and, and subsequently he's been on, on many other media, including the, the primetime show on RTE last night. And he's just warning people, don't take your eye off the ball. And it's not fair to point just at the pubs. It's all the little things we're doing, but it's not so much as they add up, but they multiply by each other, particularly the community transmission that joins up the clusters. It's, you know, the hooks we allow each other that we shouldn't. It's the barbecues we plant in our back garden that move indoors once the rain hits us. It's the rugby club I walk past several times a week, which has 16 lads packing down against each other, which I find bizarre. You know, I find amazing in the middle of a pandemic of a physically contagious pathogen. So if you add up all those things, that's what tips us back over the line into exponential epidemic growth. And it's not any of those things. It's the combination of them all. So these are the warnings we're getting. 
1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Somebody wanted me to check the numbers compared to the population of Cork City and, and, and County, which is in or around, and don't be fighting with me here, but it is in or around half a million, 500,000, in or around, give or take, give or take. And that's nine cases per 100,000 over the last fortnight. Remember we do this 100,000 cases, Lark? Now, it's about a third of what the country figure is. Our country figure at the moment is one of the highest in Europe. It's higher than Britain and it's one of the highest in the EU at the moment. Our national figure per 100,000 per 14 days. We're at nine in Cork. And I've been saying all week, if we watch ourselves, we can keep it going down or we can stop it from going any higher. But it's nine per 100,000 in Cork, which is high. And it's a lot higher than it was in June. And that's what's to be remembered. In June, in June, you, it was very, we were, we practically had it eliminated in June. We never got there. And now it's up to nine cases per 100,000. That's the comparison we're going with. And I am not scaremongering. You don't scaremonger people by giving facts and figures. People are asking how many deaths. Well, personally, one is one too many as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we had hundreds of deaths in Cork. I, I, I don't have the number of, Deaths offhand for Cork, but I don't want any more, personally speaking. 1850 We spent a lot of time this week talking about the schools and going back to school and the concerns of teachers and parents and pupils and the optimism in some circles that, you know what, if we knuckle down and do things right, we'll be okay. And there was lovely optimism from some teachers. Other teachers then were looking at it from a more kind of a, well, come to my school and see how easy it is to impose these regulations and then tell me that we'll be fine. A lot of people are worried about back to school. But, you know, with all the talks of pods and, and, and distancing and moving pupils around schools and breaking up big classes into smaller classes and taking over the school hall and, you know, you'd think that there'd be rakes of work for teachers and they'd be looking for more teachers. Not so, says Mary. Mary, good morning. Hello, PJ. Good morning. It's your Um, son is is, is looking for a job. My son is a teacher and in June when all this was, you know, when we saw, you know, what was being put in place around the return to schools and when the emphasis returned to schools in September we expected really our, you know, it, it looked as if teachers would be in huge demand and there is a website that teachers jobs are supposed to be put up on, um, educationpost.ie and if you look at that on any given day the job, the number of jobs advertised are less than ever and not not only that, you know, there is, you know, obviously an issue, an ongoing issue with things like casual sick leave and things like that among existing teachers for, you know, and there is no established mechanism for dealing with that teacher. I, I am absolutely sure that principals right around Ireland 
spend their morning in in some cases ringing around looking for a sub for you know x y z yeah. you know and it's just such a poor use of resources if 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 there are jobs there they should be advertised well I, I got the impression from you know. talking to some of the principals over the last few days that to, to impose the, the restrictions across the schools as they want to do it, their yes. staff would be stretched like an elastic. Exactly. They well, need more teachers. Look, yeah, well, if you look, like even I just looked at the post-primary schools this morning, there are 28 positions. That's all in Cork. Yeah. Four of them are for SNAs. Um, six of them are for maternity. Oh, sorry, six of them are substitute teachers, I presume, for long-term sick leave that teachers that they know are going to be out. And then there's five maternity leave covers. Yeah. That's across all subjects, across all secondary schools, right across Cork's, Cork. Cork right. County. Not Like, you know, it just... It doesn't add up in terms of what is required on the ground. And because, I suppose, this system, if you look at the primary school teachers, I think there's 10. Yeah. Yes, and only four of them are for mainstream class teachers. Yeah, yeah. One of them even is a school bus escort. Right. How does your son feel about going into schools, starting as a new young teacher in the midst of a pandemic? That must make him nervous. Well, he he was actually qualified last year and was subbing first in a primary school, but where he was um, not deemed to be a fully qualified teacher because his sec- it's a secondary school qualification he has. Yeah. So then he was he was substituting and he participated in the online learning and in fairness, people of his generation would be far more comfortable probably with that than a teacher who had only taught in a classroom for, you know, whatever, 30 years. Yeah. You know, he's very uh, familiar with the technology and all that kind of thing, so was probably well-suited to that kind of role. He participated in the the grading of the leaving certain right, students. Okay. And, you know, he he did everything. And it's, it's, it's just, I suppose, just on an ongoing basis, like kind of thing. And I don't have a load of confidence in in um, the return to school insofar as I don't think the teachers or the principals or, and the people who are making the decision, they're not health and safety experts. They're not the HR experts. You know, they're no, but to be and fair I to them, any of the principals that I've spoken to are doing their absolute level best with the resources I'd, that they have. Absolutely. Listen, um, there isn't anybody who... There are very few people who don't do their best when they're asked to of step course. up to the plate. But whether they, whether you know, their best is good enough, I suppose, in terms of our children or whatever, that kind of thing, you know, one would assume that... I suppose going down through the years, going to parent-teacher meetings, and like there are some very poor teachers out there who think they are doing their best, and there are some very good teachers there who are yeah. always well, trying to do more. Pandemic or no pandemic, that that was always that, the that, case. That's always the case. Ke- Kevin Kevin tweets that, that time, Eric. 
I just yep. you were, we were saying about the jobs. Kevin has just tweeted that, and he reminds us that Norma Foley, the education minister, said we'd have a thousand extra teachers. <laughs> where when? there's no there's no where, sign where, of the jobs. And, uh, exactly, and who you know what I mean? If the jobs are being allocated under the radar or whatever, that's not fair to a whole group of people. Like kind of thing. The only issue that I suppose my son knew was aware of even entering into the profession was that he wouldn't be paid as much as and listening to all the rhetoric about teaching all down to the, you'd think that the only issue facing any young teacher was the pay differential between them and the older teachers mm. it's not they can't get getting can't a step on the ladder is mm. just impossible because it's all been done obviously behind closed doors it would have made sense in the current situation that they would have a pool of teachers that they would employ on 10 hour a week contracts even yeah and that they would be available as a pool of uh, substitutes to cover any COVID-related issues. There has to be different ways of thinking. Ten hours, like um, on the prime time show the other night, 90% of school principals already um, cited um, getting substitute teachers short-term, I presume, on teacher ringing in sick or whatever on a day, as the biggest problem that they have yeah. but they have done nothing that problem is only going to get worse if a teacher has to self-isolation things like that and you also have the problem I know it and you know it I'm sure from your school as well the number of free classes that secondary school teachers or secondary school kids get in any one day Yeah. my yeah. children certainly have come home and said oh I had no maths and I had no Irish and I had no yeah. something that, all in one day what, yeah, is, what is going to be done? Obviously, the the, um, the you know contingency can't put in with this expectation, but we all know it's going to happen. Yeah. I know. So, what is my daughter go- and her thirty going to do when you know there is no sub? And in fairness, like kind of thing, if if they did put in a system whereby they guaranteed substitute work to a pool of teachers and they was sent on relief to certain schools to relieve situations as they arose. Frank makes a point though, Mary, in relation to that, which which is a valid one. Unfortunately, we have to be careful here because of what happened in nursing homes. A team or a pod or a group of substitute teachers is fine, but if you allow them to go from school to school to school, Depending on well, where the work is. Saying that they'd have uh, that if they were confined to a pod of schools, yeah. that would lim- uh, at the moment what's going to happen is teachers are go- or principals are going to be fantasizing around getting anybody they can't come in, which may- which actually increases the likelihood of teachers that's, being that's uh, coming point. from different areas. So okay. they could actually mitigate that by putting proper. Um, and an actual, actual framework in place of subs. Mary, uh, you made a lot of good points there. Thanks very much. Appreciate the call on the opinion line. 1850 As Kevin says, the Minister's been going on about a thousand teachers, but yet there's only 25 jobs on educationpost.ie across Cork, and most of them are maternity leave cover. And there's loads of young graduated teachers ready to go in and start their start their careers at a time when you think the schools need more teachers, not less. It's not the school's fault. They they can't hire them unless they get the go-ahead from the department, but you know yourself. On the numbers, uh, Moira, and thank you for this, Moira 
was on to me through WhatsApp to save me the job of going back to the hub. Thank you, Moira. She says, presently in Cork, there are five people confirmed in critical care. Three of them confirmed to be on ventilation. Is that Cork or nationally? That's nationally. Thank you. That's nationally. Thank you, Fergal. Uh, Five confirmed in critical care. Uh, three confirmed on ventilation nationally. So, look, they're very small numbers at the moment. Very small numbers. But the more cases on the outside, the more chances there are of more people going into hospital. Finn says, we've taken our eyes off the ball. The ball has been dropped. Uh, The pubs and restaurants that are open are busy. The shops are busy. Schools are open. It's looking like we're dipping in our toes to see what bites and it's only going to go one way. More cases and more lockdown. Nobody seems to be able to ease the fear or come up with Plan C as we've long, long since bypassed Plan B. On teachers, thanks Declan. Declan says, when Norma Foley says a thousand teachers, she means hours for a thousand teachers. Ah, most teachers or many teachers won't have full hours and now the principal will allocate those hours to them, not employ a new teacher. Want to employ a new teacher, you need 22 classes available to them. The subject won't match the hours. Ah, gotcha. So if you have a thousand teachers, that's the hours for a thousand teachers. It doesn't mean the hiring of a thousand teachers. And to keep its teacher, a school needs more hours. So ah, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Good man, Declan. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. Quick mention for Frank O'Sullivan. Uh, loves the show. He's retiring from St. Finbar's Hospital after working there for 40 years. It comes from his wife and his children and grandchildren and all the colleagues and all of those who know him. Uh, best of luck to you in your retirement, Frank. Now, another thing that's come out in the last couple of months, we've got very used to, to reading about the things we need to watch for in our health. Uh, people with diabetes, very prone uh, to very bad COVID-19, particularly is it type 1 or type doesn't matter. People with diabetes need to watch themselves. People with underlying conditions need to watch themselves. People who are obese need to watch themselves. And it's become more and more of a discussion point in the last few weeks. And heading into the winter, there's going to be an encouragement now. We're all going to be encouraged to try to lose a bit of weight or try to change our lifestyle because obesity is a real problem when it comes to COVID-19. I'm going to talk a little bit about that next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. This came out of a study in the University of North Carolina. A massive study carried out by researchers there. Your BMI, you know, your body mass index... Um, that's a calculation that you can make. I have forgotten how to calculate it. But if it's over 30, then your risk of dying from COVID-19 increases by nearly 50%. And they've done that researching the massive numbers of deaths in the United States. Obviously, they had plenty of research, plenty of research material, if you want, 
They also found that people with obesity have other ailments that make fighting COVID-19 harder to do. Uh, so if you are obese, then you could be in serious trouble if you get COVID-19. The HSE is also mounting a programme now nationally to encourage us all, I think, to tackle our weight and, and, and all of us to look at our weight through gaining health rather than losing weight will be the theme of the discussion. Now, Dr. Mick Crotty is a GP, but he specialises in weight management and what they call bariatric medicine. Mick, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Now, there's, there's many of us would be carrying a stone that we know we should shift, myself included. It's possibly closer to a stone and a half at this stage. But define obese, Mick. So I suppose the, the chronic disease of obesity is, is defined as excess adipose or fatty tissue that impairs your health. Um, so there's different ways of, of looking at obesity. Classically, doctors would work out your BMI, which just mentioned your body mass index, which is kind of taking your height and your weight uh, and making a calculation. And that gives you a number. And if it's between 25 and 30, you're considered in the overweight category. If it's greater than 30, you're in the obese category. Now, that the BMI, um, for those of us who kind of specialize in weight medicine, it does have some limitations. It doesn't take into account, you know, body composition, muscle mass. It doesn't to kind of discriminate between men and women and different things. So it's kind of a crude marker, but in, in general, um, excess body weight that, that is impairing your health will be the definition of obesity. And in a slightly more simplistic way, we define it as a BMI greater than 30. Okay. And what's the difference between being overweight, everyone carrying, as we come to call it now, the COVID stone? Mm-hmm. At what stage would you know that you were dangerously overweight? So, Would you know it before having to go to the doctor? Like, I, I suppose the, the this kind of area is quite complex because weight doesn't affect everybody the same. You know, some people will be carrying weight and might be very healthy people. They might have a very healthy diet. They might exercise very regularly, and they mightn't have any, you know, diabetes or blood pressure or other medical problems. Whereas other people might be carrying some excess weight and, and have lots of medical problems. So it's a very kind of individual thing. Yeah. But in general, we know that. Um, kind of 60% of the Irish population over the age of 15 is either living with overweight or living with obesity. Right. So, and that, that is as of 2015 figures. By, the, by 2030, it's estimated that 90% of the population will be in the overweight or obese category. So we, we, you know, as far as kind of in my specialty, I talk to people about weight because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of stigma and, and kind of bias and discrimination against people who carry weight. There's this idea out there that kind of weight is, is you know, uh, because of our lifestyle, because of willpower, because of some sort of weakness in us. And actually, that isn't backed up by any scientific evidence. The scientific evidence in bariatric medicine tells us that that obesity or, or overweight, uh, they're not uh, a failure. They're not, you know, a person's fault. It's a very genetically conferred condition, so it tends to run in families. Yeah. We know there's a huge influence from kind of neurology in the brain, hormones in the body, metabolism, education, sleep, medications around. There's lots of kind of different things that will affect somebody's weight. So, you know, the, the old-fashioned kind of thought and, and the thought that's out there in society that, you know, all we have to do is eat less and move more. Yeah, which is kind of, that's the you know, old that's, slogan. That's, that's the old slogan. And really that's Does that work for anybody? 
Uh, in the short term, it might cause people to lose weight, but it's a, it's a gross oversimplification of the problem. It doesn't kind of get to the underlying causes of why somebody is struggling with weight and, and why we, you know, why it's such a problem. <clears throat> and really, I suppose it's, that's, that's what kind of the whole campaign in England, the UK with Boris Johnson, you see him in, in the newspapers out running and doing different things with his personal trainer. Like, it's great for him. He has a personal trainer and he probably has a chef and this, that and the other. So it might be easier for him. But those of us who are living kind of normal lives, it's, it's a much more challenging um, area. Now, what is the danger, and I was reading this, just a, a newspaper piece about this study in North Carolina, So, mm. and, they, and they say that uh, if your BMI is over 30, uh, mm. it, it can increase your risk of dying from COVID by nearly 50%. Why? Why is it that if you have a serious weight problem or if you're obese, mm. why is it more dangerous to get COVID-19? So I think, you know, what, what we know is that, you know, at the moment, we don't feel that people who are who are living with obesity or overweight are more prone to catching COVID. So that's kind of the first thing to okay. put out there. But suffering if, from it, if they get but it. If they, do, if they do get it, then we know that people are inclined to, to suffer with more severe disease and become sicker. And perhaps people who are younger might get kind of more severe disease as well. And there's, there's a lot of theories around that. Some of it might be because of some of the medical problems that can be associated with weight, whether it's sleep apnea or asthma or heart disease, blood pressure, diabetes and, and kind of things that you mentioned or, you know, um, uh, fatty liver disease. These kind of medical conditions yeah. impair our health and they can go hand in hand with obesity. Not always, but, but they can do. We know that in people who are, are um, struggling kind of with weight issues that the immune system works differently, particularly the innate immune system, which we're hearing lots about at the moment um, as far as kind of herd immunity and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. there's, there's evidence to suggest that people uh, living in bigger bodies are kind of uh, have an impaired uh, immune response to to certain viral and bacterial infections. We know that the disease of obesity causes a kind of a chronic inflammatory um, response in in the body, that there's lots more inflammation going on. And it's proposed that perhaps um, kind of inflammation in the lungs then is is kind of supercharged in in people who who have weight problems. We know that um, the the blood vessels and and the circulation within the lungs and within the body in general can be affected by COVID and you can get kind of little small clots and things forming. And and again, you know, that's something that we see more in people who are are living with weight. But the challenge is that this doesn't affect everybody. We don't know why, but some people who are living in bigger bodies are are at increased risk and others are not. And we need more research to kind of look into that. I think as well, kind of, you know, the the headlines will say a 50% increase in, in death rate and that sounds very dramatic but I suppose we the, there's kind of the difference between actual risk and relative risk so you know if we if we say that one person in a thousand has a problem and you increase the risk by 50% then you have 1.5 people in a thousand you know so it's, it's kind of when you look at it that way it doesn't sound as much but essentially you're increasing the risk by 50% but yes if we, it's kind of it's how you yeah it's, it's, it's so, how statistics play so, out and I guess you know it's it, yeah it's the headlines well the headlines will be the headlines and obviously they're, they're going to get clicks. But it, it depends on how you read them, shall we say. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we, we need to be careful as well um, because we know that people who are who are living with obesity, you know, there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of blame. Yes. They're, less, they're less inclined to seek medical attention. Yes. They're more inclined to delay going to the doctor. And again, that's something else that might um, impact on, on kind of the severity of COVID because, you know, a lot of people who, who have obesity go to the doctor and, and whatever medical problem they go in with, it's blamed on their weight, you know. Yeah. And that's, that's not the case. You know, we need to 
um, accept and we need to increase the information that this is a chronic, that obesity itself is a chronic disease. There are evidence-based treatments out there to treat people. It's not as simple as just eating less and moving more. Uh, people who, who are living with weight, their brains work differently, their hormone, their regulation of appetite is totally different. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's you know, a science rather than just... Oh, just, there, there's, just there's huge, yeah, there's huge yeah. evidence out there, but you know, certainly during my medical training and, and GP training, which is my kind of background originally, um, there isn't a, there wasn't a huge amount of teaching on this. So I think there's a there's a lot of work for us to do around um, you know how this is a medical problem in its own right. It needs treatment. It's not people's fault. You know, telling somebody who's who's living with obesity to to eat less and move more. Fair enough, they might be able to do that for a short time, but in the long term, that's like telling somebody with with depression to cheer up. It's like telling somebody with asthma to cough less and and to kind of breathe better. It's it's an oversimplification. You yeah. know, we need we need to kind of look at kind of appetite regulation. We need to look at you know processed food, the cost of food. food do, you know, do you know, Mick, you know, a lot of a lot of what I shall call influencers and mm. celebrity. Uh, activists, shall we say, and I'll name no names, but I'm sure they'll come into your mind and others. That's what they say. Eat less, move more. If you're yeah. fat, it's your fault. Yeah. And and that's the that's the society view. And we're all members of society and you know, that's ingrained in us from from very young age. But it's just not backed up by science. And there's this idea that people who who, you know, are living in smaller bodies and don't have obesity that, you know, they feel they're morally superior. Well, I have better willpower control. No, your brain works differently. You don't have the genetics. You don't have the predisposition. You know, they, they will be the first people to come out if they had a different medical problem, you know, saying that this needs attention. But it just happens they don't suffer with the medical problem of obesity, you know. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about, the, come back to the whole COVID thing. Mm. And we are hoping, of course, against hope that by the middle of, by this time next year, we'll actually have a vaccine that mm. we can that we can put in our arms yeah. Um, and and thankfully the, the research is is promising. Mm. But is there any science out there to say, Mick, that someone who is over the BMI of thirty mm. and suffering with their weight, that a vaccine might not work for them? So the the I suppose there, there's some um, suggestion that. Um, Lots of people for different reasons, you know, certainly, you know, somebody in a bigger body or somebody on certain medications that they may not have the same response to the, to the vaccine that somebody who's, who's, you know, considered in a normal way it might have. But again, that's, that's been taken into account and that's been kind of worked on and that's part of the studies. Like I said, if 60% of the, of the population um, over the age of 15 are living with this problem, you know, the vaccines that come out are going to have to work and there's ways of, of kind of making them work. But the, these are all the things, you know, um, response to vaccination, um, you know, is, is very variable. Some people, you know, respond to a vaccine, others don't. Uh, and certainly people living with obesity, um, you know, there is a concern maybe that the vaccine won't work as well. But this will all be taken into account and factored when, when the vaccine is being brought out, you mm. know. So in general... Uh, Dr. Cotty, as we look ahead, uh, you know, like there are those, like you say, who who suffer with the, with the disease of obesity. There are mm. those who are carrying the, the COVID stone and, and probably should lose it. What mm. advice would you give us in general with regard to our weight heading into autumn and winter, heading into what looks, uh, looks desperately like a second wave of COVID-19? 
So I think you you mentioned there at the top, um, you know, this focus on gaining health rather than losing weight. And I think most of the the specialists will look at, you know, it's not all about numbers on the scales, it's about how how healthy somebody is. And and weight doesn't isn't necessarily a good um, marker for health. You know, you can have people who are normal um, weight who, who don't have health problems, uh, or sorry, who who have health problems. So I think the the focus will be kind of healthy eating. We know that um, focusing on kind of whole foods and real foods, whether it be fruits and vegetables and, you know, um, meat, fish, chicken, you know, things that are unprocessed, things that don't go, you know, don't have a lot of additives and and preservatives, you know, focusing on regular physical activity, uh, you know, being conscious of our um, alcohol intake, um, being, you know, I suppose mindful of of the foods that we're taking in and and the amounts of foods. Um, But like I said, it's not as, as simple as that to control, but, you know, certainly perhaps reducing temptation, not having things in, in the house. Uh, if if you're somebody who has uh, issues with your weight and maybe other people in the house don't, maybe having a conversation, you know, with others that you can't have these treats or things in the house because, you know, your brain works differently and, and you know, they, they will cause a problem. I think the, the other big push would be for people to, to go to their doctor and talk about um, weight. Um, to me, you know, uh, when I work in GP, very few people bring up their weight and I think a lot of doctors and healthcare professionals are terrified to bring up weight for fear of offending people. Yes. But when, when it's done in a sensitive way, when it's done properly at the right time, not just kind of scaring people, you have to lose weight, but talking to people, you know, asking them would you like to discuss your weight uh, people are very receptive to it you know mm. so i think starting the conversation with the doctor looking at what are the evidence-based treatments for for weight you know there there's science out there showing that you know behavioral interventions medication surgery there's lots of different treatments and these are are you know we wouldn't we wouldn't you know uh, stop somebody going on an inhaler to treat their asthma so why why would we not kind of go on a medication to treat our weight you know yeah. but i think starting the conversation is very important and you know the way, you know the way, Dr. Cotty, you, you'd, you'd ask a loved one about, you might bring up a problem with a loved one's drinking. Hmm. Or, or you might, uh, you know, speak to a friend about the fact that he's had that terrible cough for six months now. Hmm. Hmm. And, and maybe he should get, would you, do, it's not the thing to say, Jesus, you could do yeah. it losing a bit of weight. And, and I you think can do a friend faster than that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that is is down to how we talk about weight and when we bring it up. It's a bit like going into your doctor and being told your knee pain. Now that's all because because your weight, you have to lose weight. Okay, well there might be other things causing the knee pain. So I think you know if we're talking to friends and family, we need to be very sensitive to the fact that this this is a topic that people mightn't be comfortable talking about. We might ask them, you know, would you mind if we talk about your weight? You know, introduce that, and they can say no, and and that's the end of it. I think these kind of you know. Um, helpful weight loss or diet tips that people give, you know, oh, have you tried this diet? Have you tried that? That's actually been shown to be a negative and detrimental thing. It increases kind of, you know, it's patronizing to people and it increases their stigma. The, you know, the assumption that somebody who struggled with weight hasn't tried to lose weight before, you know, most people have and, and perhaps they've been very successful but just regained weight because of the way the body is designed to, to protect our weight and, and fight against kind of um, uh, weight loss. So I think, you know, being encouraging, supportive, you know, talking to people about their health rather 
that and focusing on the numbers on the scales, not blaming them, not shaming them, and, and not assuming that kind of, you know, they're unhealthy because of the weight or not making assumptions about their diet or their lifestyle because of their weight. Because, again, this is a very individual. I, I meet lots of people who have a very good diet, who exercise regularly, uh, who are living in bigger bodies. And, you know, if we all ate the exact same thing every day, we wouldn't all be the same size or shape. So, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's more complicated than just to eat less, move more. It's, it's a chronic medical condition. But I think in addressing it with family, I think we need to be sensitive. We need to not blame them. We need to try and support them. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence out there around, you know, with, with any kind of problem, you know, assessing somebody's readiness to change. So some people mightn't be in a, in a frame of mind. Perhaps mm. they're... No they're motivation. Spent, you know, yeah. well, it, it, beyond motivation, I think it's, it's more, you know, let's say during, during COVID, you know, people are stressed. Maybe they might have financial issues. Maybe their, you know, their access to healthy foods is not as good. They're not sleeping as well. You know, they might have, you know, uh, issues with anxiety or depression or other things going on. So, so you know, we have to take take account that this is, is a complicated issue, you know. But I think bringing up the conversation is important. All right. Leave it there for today. Uh, lovely to talk to you and an enlightening conversation. Thank you, Dr. McCrotty. He's a GP specializing in weight management and uh, the bariatric medicine, which is basically the medicine behind weight. Just the fact that if you're obese and if your weight is a bit high, it could be kind of risky for you getting COVID-19. But there's a bigger story there. About, and this bit about, oh, eat less and move more, and it's your fault, you're fast. That's rubbish. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Looks like Dr. Crotty has started an interesting discussion with a bit of solid science as opposed to the usual old horse manure that gets tossed around when it comes to to weight. He, he very much insists that this eat less, move more, and if you're fat, it's your fault. That's not true. There's no science, no recordable or provable science to back that up. Kevin says plenty of people on the airwaves have made a living out of exactly that uh, glad to see the science starting to cut through on grown-up radio. Well, thank you for that. It's always been assumed by people that everyone who's overweight, that all they want to do is be thin. That's not the case. While some overweight people do want to lose weight, plenty of overweight people are just happy and they lead happy lives. It would be nice if this was acknowledged ahead of just fat bashing all the time. Contrary to popular belief, overweight people are happy too and fit people can be miserable as well. Oh, you're not wrong. Hey, listen, I'm a bit overweight at the moment, I don't mind telling you. Uh, I have me COVID stone and, and that added to it. Um, and I know I should probably get rid of it. But am I am I unhappy? No. God, don't. Jesus, I'm not. No. And Kate says, gyms are not fun. They're very competitive and very aggressive with people roaring at you for an hour. You have to make it more like a hobby that people will look forward to going into. I don't know why I haven't, they haven't gyms set up like that. I think if you did, obesity would decline a lot. Well, I know some gyms are a bit like that. Other gyms aren't really. I wouldn't think they're all like that, Kate, but I get your point. 
I do. 1857 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And contact us through Facebook, you can do so as well. The Cork's 96FM Facebook page is where you go. And if you're sending us a message, please mark it for the attention of the opinion line. Coming up, what do you do about a dog, your neighbour's dog, barking? And I mean all the time. All the time. Have you legal recourse? What can you do? And we've had an email from a rather distressed householder. Also, later this hour, around, I think, half ten, we'll do it. Around half ten, we've got another copy of True Love Waits, the brand new album from the Coronas to give away. Uh, you're listening for the cue to call, which is Danny from the Coronas. We'll, we'll play that sometime this hour. As soon as you hear it, uh, text or WhatsApp us, 083 396 with the answer to a question. The question is... Finish the song title Closer To Dot, dot, dot Closer To Dot, dot, dot So, get ready to grab that album for free All day today Only on Cork's 96FM And I have two winners This hour Just to go back into what The Cabinet Is believed to be discussing today I'm reading from the Irish Times From their online section Uh which says it will be an offence to attend a gathering in a house with more than six visitors. Cabinet's considering a major crackdown on house parties and also on pubs that are not complying with public health guidelines. Under the proposals, it'll be an offence to organise, number one, or to attend, number two, a gathering in a private house with more than six visitors, either indoors or outdoors. So, who does that apply to? For example, if you have your sister and her family, your brother and his family, and maybe your mother and father, right? And you bring them all over for Sunday dinner. Is that an offence now? Is that a crime now? That's what I'm reading here. Kevin is pointing out that he has four or five kids. And his, someone, his sister say? That brings the total in there. That sounds fairly rough. So, bring over your friends. Oh, yeah, there's another thing. So, you want to have four friends over for dinner. So, me and the Queen Bee, for example, might want to have four friends over for dinner. But our son is in. My daughter might be in. So, do they count as part of the six? Now, bearing in mind that probably being young people, they'll spend the evening in their bedrooms disapproving of the adults downstairs. But that's eight people in the house. Is that a crime now? Moreover, does it need to be? Any thoughts? 1850-715-996. So, we got an email um, from a person who would like us to refer to them as a very disgruntled and rather exhausted listener. We have their name. Hi PJ, this came to opinion at 96fm.ie. Hi PJ, I wonder if you'd be so good as to read this out on your show. I won't name and shame the people in question yet, but I fear that I might have to. I have the bad luck to have neighbours whose dogs bark constantly. Even last night, 
It went on till 11 o'clock. They run from the back of the house to the front of the house, screeching at the slightest sound. One of them literally barks at fresh air. That's one thing when the owners are both at work and the mongrels are left to their own devices. But even when the owners are at home, they're out the back garden, totally oblivious to the yapping. The one that barks at nothing howls like a banshee. You'd think, <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, you'd think he was being murdered. Now, I suffer a lot with my health and there are days when I can't even get out of bed. I have to lie here listening to this. The awful thing is that they know and they just don't give a damn. My partner knocked at their door recently and asked the man of the house if he could do something about the endless barking. The snide reply he got was, well, that's what dogs do. They bark, don't they? Now, before I go down a legal route with this, I'd like to know if any other listeners have this problem. And if so, what they did about it, what they do about it. Regards from a very disgruntled and rather exhausted listener. And I'm, I apologise for laughing, but the one that barks nothing howls like a banshee, you think. I, I'm, I'm thinking of my Harry, uh, my demented little Cavachon, who is inclined to do that when you come in after being out at work. But the thoughts of it going on all day and all night would drive you to drink fairly quickly. Let's get a, a legal view here. Uh, David Sweeney is a solicitor. David, good morning. Do do you have a right of control over your neighbour's barking dog? Uh, good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, I suppose you can see both sides of the argument there. Someone, you know, has a dog and they're well for their dog. They love their dog. They may be oblivious to the barking or just become accustomed to it uh, and don't really know what's happening or that it's interfering with their neighbours. But as a father of two young kids... I certainly appreciate the value of a good night's sleep. And if there's dogs keeping people awake, you know, that does affect your personal life and affect your mentality and how you go upon your day-to-day job. Um, have the legal right. Okay, so what I would first encourage is some discussion between themselves and their neighbour. Maybe they can dissolve it amicably between both parties. And if not, then there is an avenue. There is a legal avenue open to that neighbour, to that person. Uh, it's not a matter for the guards. It's not a matter for a dog warden. It's not a matter for the city council or the county council. It is a matter, it's a civil matter, and the procedure is to go through a district court. Right. Um, so what, what we would advise is that um, keep a record, keep a log uh, of all the instances, whether it's by phone, video, uh, photographs, so that you're, you're building up a record of a consistent interruption and excessive dog barking, which may be causing a nuisance to you, and that in itself is an offence. Yeah. So what, what you must do then is you present yourself to the district courts, uh, down in St. Cork, it's down on Washington Street, so you take up the appropriate forms, you must give your neighbour notice in writing that you intend to go to court. You then must lodge the appropriate form in the district court itself. You then must um, give the neighbour notice of the date and you must prove to the court that you've given them the notice of the date. And then you present yourself to the local district court and then it becomes up to the judge to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what sanctions does the judge have to hand? I mean, can they order you to get rid of the dog? Well, this is it. So I just have, it's under the Dog Control of Dogs Act 1986, and I must thank my, uh, the two uh, ladies in my office here, Katie and Tina, who researched this for us yesterday afternoon. So what can a judge do? So we, we can make an order limiting for such periods may be specified in the order the number of dogs to be kept by the respondent. Uh, actually, in simple terms, they can limit the number of dogs to be kept in the premises, can direct that a dog be delivered to a dog warden. So basically, they can, they can direct that the dog be kept off the property. Nice. So, yeah, look, it's not pleasant. There are options available. It is a civil matter. Uh, the, the, the house owner who has been interrupted with the noise should present themselves at district court. They're very helpful down there. It's just a matter of filling out two forms, 
making the dog owner's house aware of, first of all, that you intend to go to court and that's been reasonable and maybe offering them an opportunity uh, to fix matters or come up with some solution before you go to court. But if there's nothing there, uh, you then must present yourself to local district court and ask them to make a decision. You could see it getting nasty, couldn't you? Going to a neighbour's door and saying, sorry, we're going to have to go to court over over Bobo, you know? We've done a bit of research here and ultimately... Uh, you know, the judge makes a decision. Obviously, the, the dog owner must abide by the court order, but we've seen it where uh, maybe that neighbour doesn't want to go to court and ultimately they end up selling their house and moving on. Which <laughs> That's probably the ultimate solution where you just sell house and move away from the problem. Uh, but obviously, I think this person's here 10 or 15 years, or whatever, yeah. whatever the time they're there. You know, you'll all meet the, 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 bar, the barstool barrister, well, with the pub's clothes, probably not, but you know yourself, the, bar, the barstool barrister who says, oh, that's a breach of the peace. You should report him for yeah. a breach of the peace. Well, I don't think it's a criminal matter. Like, it's a nuisance, as specifically with the dog, it's under the Dog Control Act. Right. Um, and that's, your, your resolution is through the district court. I have, yeah. So it's not a crime, unfortunately. You can't arrest, and 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 it's very, you know. The, and it does happen that a lot of guards get called out to 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 houses, and I, I think a lot of the times it's just you know try resolve between yourselves, and they do advise it is a civil matter. Yeah. So have another go at resolving it between yourselves is the advice to our disgruntled and exhausted listener, David. Thank you very much. That's David Sweeney, uh, solicitor. So it's not as easy as it sounds. It's a fairly difficult process and you have to go through the district court to do it. 1850-715-996 Anybody else have tried this before and, and managed to solve it? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette Now at the Junction Vickers Road Open every day to save you time and money Selfservicelaundry.ie Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM Yeah, if you've ever managed to sort out uh, a neighbour's barking dog and please, please do not send me in texts about 
rat poison and a piece of meat. Don't, like, just don't. 1850-715-996. Story in the paper this week from the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. They published their annual report for 2019 and Mary Crilly and her team provided services in 2019 to 580 victims of sexual violence, which is 10 a week. It's more than one a day. Uh, 350 something of those, 358 I think, were presenting for the very first time. But Mary was particularly concerned by the number of students who were coming for help. And Mary, good morning to you. Morning, morning PJ, and thank you again for highlighting the work here because it does help people like to know that they're not on their own out there, do you know? Yeah, yeah I was delighted to do that. Yeah. The figures are stark, 580 in, in a year, that's that's more than 10 a week. And I think even within that, I think the under 18s we had, you know, because we do see between 14 and 18, there was 72 under 18 people who we were in contact and like that's awful when you see young people coming in, both young boys and young girls, because um, it really for me shows that sexual violence isn't slowing down or that you know, people aren't learning, that people aren't calling out the perpetrators mm. that are still kind of going on. I've massive admiration for any 14 or 15 year old that comes to the centre or that discloses to a parent or discloses to somebody because so often um, the young boys and the young girls are told it's their fault or they might have been told not to go online and beat somebody if that's the way it happened. Yes. So they're afraid to disclose in case they get killed over that. Um, so it's about time we called out the perpetrators. Yeah. And I think as regards the, you know, the students, 37%. I know um, universities now have got some funding to do some work on consent, to highlight consent, which isn't the issue because the guys who um, are abusing don't want consent. But I think they need to really up their game a bit because a lot of people will say if something happens in college, they don't know where to go. They don't know who to talk to. It doesn't dawn on them. And then the first thing, in my experience, the college authorities will say, did it happen on college property? And it might have happened in a accommodation where they are, but not necessarily on the accommodation. So we have to start covering ourselves and just really look at us and look at these young people who are amazing, who are invincible, who are our future, and really say, what can we do? Stop covering, stop ducking, stop saying it's not on my property so it's not to do with me and just put things in place for zero yeah. tolerance. Now, 37% of 358, which are your new, your new referrals, you're talking about in or around 120, which is probably in or around what, two a week or more students coming in. Yeah, yeah. And if you think it's very hard for them to come in because of exams, they're lots of them from Cork, they're isolated, they don't know what to do. Um, they feel one, one big thing they feel is I have to face this guy in college next day because he's in my class or he's in my group but one of the biggest things that I wish I could get rid of is when people say I don't want to get him into trouble or maybe it was my fault or you know I've even had parents speak to us who whose daughters would have been raped and they'd say they know the guy and he's a nice lad and is not like him and um, maybe he didn't know what he was doing yeah. and I think we all know that the most men and young boys are not doing this and if somebody did the same thing to their sister they do know that it was wrong you know and that it's not just something out is, of is it all women that come to you or do young men do? Not, no we had a huge percentage of men um, we have I think 10 to 15% sometimes up to 20% of men and a lot of the young people who came to us this year were boys young boys so no we do see both and we are seeing an increase in men coming in, you know, some men who are abused as children, but also men who are abused as adults, or young boys who might um, have met up, linked up with somebody, a man who they thought was their own age, and end up being older, and then before they know where they are, they're out of their depth, and this yeah. guy rapes them. Male, male them. students, Mary? 
male students, but it could even be secondary school. Yes. You know, they're not all um, UCC or CITs, some of them are secondary schools. So we just want to keep the conversation going because I think if we stop the conversation but then are finished, then it goes on in silence. But if we keep it going, people get really angry and appalled by it and will stop it. But in my experience, the guys who rape will not call it rape. They say, I had her last night, she, didn't, she doesn't even remember it. And they brag to their friends about it. So I'm really pleading with the friends really stand up and be counted because they're the only ones, I think the men are the only ones who can really start protecting um, their friends and protecting other women because they'll know about it. Is there ever a case, Mary, and I'm I'm asking this very carefully, we know each other long enough that I can ask it carefully of you. Is there ever a case where people just get a bit carried away on a night out, wake up the following morning and realise, God almighty, that was an awful mistake, and then someone makes a complaint or an apology would sort it all out? Well, an apology would sort it out. I mean, very few um, who want to go to court or want to go into the sexual assault treatment unit and have an invasive procedure, no matter how supportive they are over there. Um, and that's all women want is an apology. And why did he do it to me? And why did he pick me? Why did he accuse me? They'd all be very happy with an apology. And, you mm. know, they'd love some kind of assurance that he's not going to do it again. Yeah. But even in court, you see guys apologising at the end after they're found guilty but they've already put the woman through the trauma of giving evidence and all yes. this kind of stuff and then they might apologise so for me that apology isn't more to damn because gotcha. unless, unless it comes on the very first time on the very first day I think so I think yeah. so yeah unless and I think yeah. as, as regards people will often come up with a false reporting thing and I guarantee you you would not go and get an invasive um, examination done or come in for counselling or go through the rigmarole of investigated by the guards you would not do that if it didn't happen yeah, because yeah. it's difficult enough to report, and you know the guards are very thorough um, yeah. in you, terms of their questioning. You mentioned as well, and you've said to me many times that roughly is it one or th- one in three don't come forward at all. So oh, absolutely, one in three or one in four don't come forward at one all. One in four, because even so. If you look in, at the ones that do come forward, very few of them will end up in court. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you might see something coming out at times in the UK. They said the. Um, conviction rate was up, but what wasn't up was the amount of cases gone to court because in England they seem to be only taking the cases where they were nearly almost 90% guaranteed of a conviction. Yeah. So it's kind of false representation in a way saying that, you know, the conviction rate is up. You have to look at, okay, out of 100 cases, how many really went to court? Yes, you know? yes. Well, I mean, over, I would have attended many court cases over the years, as, as you know, sexual assault-based yeah. yeah. court cases, and they would come to the conclusion where the guy was convicted and punished and, and whatever. But remember, you said to me that for every one that we managed to catch and, and, and punish... There's a half a dozen walking away. Easily, easily, if not more, easily, yeah. yeah. Talk, to me, I mean, talk the, to me about the, consent, though, Mary, where all this comes in here. Well, the legislation changed where, like, there is a law around consent that he has probably got consent, but it's still an issue in court where it still comes up where we are allowed in court, or the barrister for his side is allowed in court to, you know, question the girl or question the boy, whoever's on the stand, about their past, about who they are, about... Um, what kind of person they are. It's totally to discredit them as a person on the stand before they even ask about what happened that day or that evening so the jury have a sense of doubt in the head about is this person believable at all. You know, I think I said to you, I remember them being with a young man in, in court. Well, he was in his 40s last year who uh, was horrifically abused by somebody in the school he was attending. And he was asked so many questions about 
a list of teachers and what subjects they teach and he couldn't remember. So he was discredited straight away because the barrister maintained, well, if you don't remember that and you're in school for so many years, how can we believe anything else out that comes out of you? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And I think people know when you're traumatised, um, you don't remember stuff. It just goes, fades away in your head. So it really is about discrediting people before the issue of consent comes in. And then you're told consent is huge and he believed he consented and you're saying he didn't consent. So the jury are left there and they have to decide beyond any reasonable doubt. Which um, is a very high bar. It's, it's impossible. I mean, I find I'm amazed that anybody's found guilty because the bar is impossible to, mm. you know, to cross. Finally, Mary, for anybody who's listening to us right now, who who may have had an unpleasant experience of any kind, um, they would be fearful that because of the pandemic, I can't go and see Mary or I can't go and see her team. Well, we're doing Zoom and that's going down very well and we're doing phones and any other kind of social media. Like I know the young people come in, you're kind of typing it out or doing it in that kind of way. Whatever they want, whatever they're used to, whatever they're comfortable with, we'll use. All right. Listen, Mary, always a pleasure to talk to you. Keep up the fantastic work that you do. That's Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre, 1850-715-996. Those figures, they speak for themselves. They speak for themselves. Um, Do people make it up? Well, according to Mary, would you make it up and put yourself through all of that just to make it up? She doubts it, and frankly, so do I. 1850-715-996 on the whole thing about the crime of going to a house party Uh, that is the new legislation that the cabinet are discussing today and to remind again what the one that jumps off the page to me is that it will be an offence to organise or to attend a gathering in a private house with more than six visitors so, like, your your birthday party for your brother, where you might have ten of the family there. Is that now a crime? That's the question that, that I'd be asking. Uh, and if it is, does it need to be? Mind you, um, Tom says, I'll tell you what the crime is. I'll tell you what the crime is, says Tom. It's the payoff to Phil Hogan. And it's not even a crime. Good grief for a man who resigned. He got some payoff. And that's in the Irish Independent. I am reading this morning. Phil, H- Phil Hogan's in line for a golden handshake. Of, are you sitting down for this? Uh, 300,000 euro following his resignation. There's a thing called a transitional allowance for former commissioners. He's entitled to monthly payments for two years, roughly the equivalent of his salary. His gross annual salary was 200... You listen to this. You listen to this 273,000 yo-yos. 273 grand, and probably that on top of it again in expenses and perks before Golfgate. Well, now that he's resigned... He's entitled to around 300,000 over the next couple of years as a former commissioner. Part of the reason being, part of the explanation is because 
he's at 60 years of age, he's still got years of work in him, obviously. He can't now go and sit on a board or join any kind of commercial company or anything like that for about two years because of his former involvement in the European Union to be considered a commercial interest, a commercial, commercially sensitive. So they pay him off, for, or rather we pay him. We pay him. You do, I do, Doc does, for, Fergal does, for, for the next two years. They get that kind of money. And then the other bit that will really make your eyes water is the pension. Now, the p- 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 pension, right? He's three of them. He's three of them, right? He has a pension for being a TD. He has a pension from being a minister. And he will have a pension for being a commissioner. The first of them will kick in when he's 63. He's now 60. The rest of us will be working till we're 90 at this, at this stage where we get a sop. But at 63, he starts to collect the first chunk of his pension pot. And how much will he be entitled to, lads? How much will he get <laughs> per year? <laughs> 120 grand! Uh, with his big golden handshake, oh, the response to Phil Hogan's uh, the amount of money he will trouser after resigning is is huge. We're getting <laughs> Kevin is looking for something stronger than coffee at this hour of the morning. With his big golden handshake, I wonder could Phil pay my fine to the Gardaí? I was stopped driving with my phone the same day as he was. How come he was left off with a caution, but I got a fine and penalty points? I know I was in the wrong. But he was too, and yet both of our offences were treated differently. Uh, in his favour, of course, says Nula. We're getting a few messages as well with regard to the dogs, the email that I read you out about the person who was beside themselves, their neighbour's dog, dogs bark all the time. Uh, one of them in particular barks like he's just been shot, and it's day and night, and it's relentless, and it's loud, and the neighbours themselves don't seem to give a tuppenny toss. When he went to the door, or his partner went to the door, or her partner went to the door, uh, the emailer doesn't say, they were told, that that's what dogs do, isn't it? So we did ask a legal opinion, and um, we got a solicitor, David Sweeney, and unfortunately it's quite a difficult process to get anything done. You have to go to the district court. Um, that's how it is. We had a message that said, Hi PJ, I'm writing in relation to this. Uh, I feel bad for the person having to listen to these dogs. Uh, and the owner clearly doesn't give a damn. Those dogs are barking for a reason. They're clearly not getting attention, not being walked, not being played with. And that's why dogs will bark. They want attention or else they get bored. It's the same thing as with children. From the sounds of what the complainant said, it seems those dogs are kept outside all day while the owners are away at work. And then when they come home, they just don't bother with them. That's, unfortunately, if it went to court and the judge ordered the dogs to be given to a dog warden, they might be put to sleep just because they barked too much because they weren't getting the attention they deserved from their owners. Now, I want to go to Emily. Emily, good morning. Good morning. You went to the guards about it, did you? Yeah, I went up to my local guard station and... Um, I just had a situation and they said that, um, did you approach the owner? And I said, I did on numerous occasions. So he said, the only option is district court. It's actually a civil matter. Yes. So you, there's no option but just to go to court. Um, I did that and the judge ordered for the dog to be in by nine o'clock at night until seven in the morning. Right. 
So it's, you know, nobody wants to go to court, but sometimes... And and how did your neighbours respond when you told them, I'm going to court over this? Well, there was no communication anyway, so, you know, because when I approached originally about the problem, there was no communication... Yeah, because when, when, when I was on with David Sweeney, the solicitor there, he made it very clear that you have to let them know it's being done and you have to let oh, them know. Yeah, you have to hand them. Um, um, it's a court order that they have to go to court. You have to go up and hand it to them in person, all right, yeah. Or can you get your solicitor to do it, or did you have no, to No, you, you have to hand it in person. You have to hand it to them. Yeah. And and when you went into the court, then the judge said, keep the dogs in after night. Did they do it? Yeah, they had to, because there was a court order. Yes, yeah, yes. so that's sometimes that's the only way you have to go, you know. So yes, and has it settled down now, Emily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great now. Good, good. And uh, did, are you talking to your neighbours at all? No, no, no. Probably for the best. No, but ah. I can get a night's sleep anyway. So which is important, you know? which is very yeah. important. So anyone who feels they're in that position, you're, you'd be reassuring them. Look, you, you'll be treated with, 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 with respect. Yeah, and the judge is used to dealing with these cases, you know. Yeah. Then, you know, they know, you know. Okay. It's frightening experience. Nobody wants to do it, but, yeah. you know, sometimes you just have to, you know. You're mm-hmm. at the end of your cheddar, like, so. Absolutely, for the sake of, of a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah. All right, Emily, thanks ever so much. 1850 As much as David Sweeney was saying, it is a district court matter, it is a civil matter, it's not a criminal matter. If you go to the guards, uh, obviously they will listen to you and... Uh, take your concerns on board but there's nothing they can do I would have thought and a lot of people would have thought well it's a breach of the peace or it's a breach of the public order it's not it isn't it's civil and you have to go through the district court this is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 on Court's 96FM yeah, um, a lot of people reacting to Phil Hogan uh, and his big golden handshake. He'll be paid for the next two years after he resigns. The bones are three, between 300 and 400 grand a year, depending on what paper you're reading this morning. Um, yes, it's taxed, by the way. It is taxed. Um, but still, it's a colossal salary, and he's paid that for the next two years. And after that, uh, when he turns 63, um, he starts to benefit from whopping great pension pots for his entire career in public service. Um, Mr. Hogan says this caller, Mr. Hogan has the last laugh with a ton of money coming his way. The one time he'd have been useful to the country as trade commissioner would have been Brexit, but he resigned before he could actually do anything useful. There was another couple of messages here. I wanted to read this one and put it out there to you for what it's worth, right? Of what you think it might be worth. Aidan on WhatsApp says, Hi PJ, in relation to Phil Hogan, I think we may have shot ourselves in the foot here. Whomever we send to replace him probably won't get the trade job. Mr. Hogan was well capable in his position of trade and I think he would have served us better if he was there until Brexit was done and dusted. Good show. Keep up the good work, says Aidan. A lot of people saying that. That regardless of what we think of Phil Hogan, regardless of how we view his behaviour at Golfgate, etc., 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 regardless of how we look at that, the one thing about him is he was bloody good at that trade job. That generally is the the feeling, that he was damn good at that trade job. 
And if we don't get the trade job, even if we do send out Simon Coveney, we might not get the trade job and opportunity lost. I don't know whether you agree or not, but it's 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 out there. It's definitely out there. Network Ireland is awarding their 2020 Business Women of the Year Awards today, celebrating the power within is the theme of their awards. The focus is on professional women as an entity, looking at all of their professional and community work as a kind of totality. And their solo businesswoman of the year for 2020. Congratulations, Mags Reardon from Bumblebee Farm. How are you? I'm very good, PJ. How are you? Congratulations. A Thank florist. You very much. And and growing them as I think we've spoken before, growing them as nature intended. Yes. With the bumblebees um, working for you. Uh, they do bless them. Um, all my pollinators work really hard. My birds, all of nature. We work together, um, and we produce this amazing crop of seasonal flowers. And it's um, it's it's. Due to COVID, I took myself online and it's just gone from strength to strength. We we spoke about that actually at the time, didn't we? That's right, we did. And and Um, at the time, the weather was gorgeous and and your your flowers were growing like nobody's business and you were worried about being able to sell them and you went online because of that. Exactly. Um, And thankfully, there's been no issue with selling them. Uh, The weather isn't quite as kind to me now as it was. But I'm lucky I have nine polytunnels and at least I have a good percentage undercover. Happy with the award? I am, I'm quite honestly, I am beside myself. It is, I could get emotional again. It, it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. You, you, you work so hard and you're just, your head is down and you just keep going and you don't take time to lift it until I was asked, would I apply and I suppose it was a self-audit of, of, of what I have done in the last year, especially. And it's incredible to be recognised by your peers. Yeah. It's a huge honour. The, the network is absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, what I find particularly um, pleasing to me, having spoken to you before, was that, you know, when, you, when we spoke before, you were saying, I, I really have to suck it and see. You didn't yeah. know how it would go. No. It was, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a scary time. Um, but, you know, kept at it and kept plugging away. And it's, um, it's growing Good and I'm you. really, really happy. But I'm happy that people are embracing um, natural flowers as well yes. and what they support and looking to get these things into their own gardens. We had an open day a couple of weeks ago and it was just phenomenal to see Great. so many people that really want to do their little bit and we can all do, you know, if each of us do a small little thing, it amounts to an awful lot. Listen, congratulations and well done to you. Uh, that's Mags Reardon from Bumblebee Farm. I only get through another couple of uh, participants on this. Well done, Mags. Marie Wiseman is the winner of the new emerging business for Wiser Marketing. Congratulations. Marie. Thanks very much, PJ. Uh, it's been an interesting year, all these awards being done online and the new challenges that, that, that the COVID threw up. But yours is a new company, which, which I suppose must be even more nerve-wracking in the middle of a, of a, <laughs> of a pandemic, as they say. It, it, it is, but it's, um, it's provided me a real opportunity, actually, because, you know, you kind of take a step back 
um, in the whole sort of pandemic thing and um, and I was trying to figure out sort of where I was going and um, and it really gave me the opportunity to just kind of consolidate and just think, right, okay, marketing is, is what I do, so let's really concentrate on that and give myself a name and, you know, and, um, and really launch it and get out there. And mm. such so was great. Business was uncertain enough for everybody in, in the midst of COVID. So you must have been, did you have sleepless nights? Um, maybe not sleepless exactly. I'm, I'm kind of blessed, but I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm all right with that. But it it was it, it was touch and go there for a while. All right, you know, a lot of companies, you know, marketing wouldn't be their top priority in a situation like this. Um, and also, I do a lot of training marketing, um, and obviously, you can't you know do that face to face anymore. So, yeah. um, had to kind of pivot and, and bring a lot of that online. Were well, you embracing? So, yeah, embracing new platforms. Totally. Yeah. Totally, you know, and, and that in itself is a learning curve. We've all had to do it, but it, to be yeah. trying to set up a business and at the same time trying to embrace new platforms, <laughs> it is. It's quite a challenge, all right. But all right. you know, it brings its, its new opportunities as well. You know, I can pitch for business up in Donegal. Yeah, um, you know, so or, or Abu Dhabi. And why not? <laughs> and why not? <laughs> Marie, congratulations. All right. Well done to you. That's Marie Wiseman, winner of the new Emerging Business in the Network Awards. Just very briefly, Caroline Murphy is president of Network Ireland uh, West Cork. Just b- briefly, Caroline, um, it's, it's their day, but you wanted to congratulate all the winners and all the participants in what's been a difficult year. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's one unprecedented year. And I think I've said before, like all our plans we had at the beginning of the year just went out the window when COVID came in the door as such. But it's just been a phenomenal um, achievement for these women that, as I said last night, they stepped up and they put their businesses on the line to be reviewed. And that's all of the finalists. Um, You know, it really is part of their development, their growth. And Sometimes we don't get what we want, but that means I think that our time isn't right. And we're known for, like I, we won the Network Island Award, and it's fantastic. But there are also awards that we didn't win, um, and and it's important to remember that too because that is all part of the the journey in inverted commas kind of thing. But you know, the year that was in it, um, you know, we were going to have a live event, we were having a virtual event. It's chopped and changed, and people have been so adaptable and shown their resilience kind of thing. And yeah. it's just, I'm just so proud of everybody. I really genuinely am because it's a fantastic organisation yeah. to be part of. And I have I'm a feeling in really my bones, you know, Caroline, that anybody who manages to get a business going and, and make a success out of it in the six months we've just had, yeah. they're they're destined for a big future because they've shown incredible inventiveness and, and, and resilience. Absolutely. And and starting your own business and putting yourself out there is one of the hardest things in the world and you put your heart and soul into it. Uh, and I think like Mag said there, sometimes you've just got the head down and you just keep going and keep going and keep going. But to get this kind of recognition is outstanding because it gives you that confidence um, that you may not have. You're just doing what you do. Um, and that's, like I said, for all the finalists, there's, what they do is amazing. Mm. And it's important to recognize that. And in this year especially, yeah. um, to have achieved what they've all achieved is outstanding. You know, it's, it's inspirational and, and, and they need to be congratulated for it. Yeah. All and that's, of them, and that's but what, especially our winners. And that's why we wanted to do it just for a few minutes on the Opinion Line this morning. Thanks for that, Caroline, President of Network Ireland, West Cork, giving out their awards today to the businesswomen of the year. Congratulations, one and all. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. 
To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or C96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Uh, forecast for the weekend. Ben McCormack was on from UCC with me yesterday. Uh, their weather expert at UCD, or UCC, rather, we were looking ahead after talking about the fact that this has been just the crappiest August for a very long time, weather-wise. What might be about to happen? Is there any improvement coming in the next day or week? Well, the, he's saying, yes, we can look forward to a bit of an improvement. Uh, Met Aaron are saying there could be a bit of an improvement as well. And my ever-reliable dark sky weather app is telling me that tomorrow will be quite a nice day. Uh, nice and sunny in most places. Uh, temperature around 17 degrees. And Sunday the same. Nice and sunny. Temperatures around 17 degrees. Maybe a bit more by way of cloud. Monday and Tuesday, not so great at all. Not so great at all. Neither is Wednesday. But the back end of next week, early September, we're looking at possibly a return to some sunshine and all of that. So it's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not by any man means the best, but there you go. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots more comments coming in on Phil Hogan's... Uh, severance package from the European Union which is eye-watering money he will be trousering a salary for another two years post-resignation and then he's going to have to buy a bigger pants to, t- to trouser all of his pension pot he's only 60 but that's 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 kind of how it is we've had people on to us to know what happened to the house, the homeless family that uh, Jennifer rang us about yesterday morning. You'll remember if you were listening, Jennifer was very, very upset. She was on her way to the gym and she'd come across a family uh, on the steps of St. Patrick's Church in the pouring rain and they were clearly packing away bedding and packing away blankets and whatever few little belongings they had. Kind of pathetic scene. She described it. She was in tears describing it on the air to me. Um, We were trying to find out what the hell was going on. We, We established that they were from Galway and they were in fact three children not two. So we will find out. Uh, we have been trying to find out more about them um, this morning. And Fergal is putting the information together. Obviously, look, we need to protect their privacy and all of that. But what, what we can tell you, I will before the end of the show. 1850 uh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Our whole lives have been changed by this blasted thing. And the um, the Ireland edition of the Times reports that the government is looking at a German-style short-term working week uh, with firms being subsidised to put their workforce on a two- or three-day week instead of laying people off. Now, I remember that happening in the dark, dark days of the 80s. People were on a three-day week for years. You kept the job, but you only got a three-day week. And I'm not sure at the time did the dole pay you for the other two. But... I wonder how will it work? And is it feasible? Is it practical? Could it save a lot of jobs? Let's talk to uh, Caroline McHenry. She's run at me many times from the HR suite. Caroline, good morning. Good morning, Fergal. It's PJ this time. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, PJ, sorry. Not sorry, a bother. Sorry. Not and a listen, bo- happy Friday. It's kind of all the confusion. It's great that we're at Friday. Isn't, isn't it great? Isn't it great? And Friday is the day that I'm out the gap here at quarter past 12. I'm gone. Happy days. Happy, <laughs> happy days. days. Happy days. Now, looking at a three-day week, I remember the dark days of, of the 80s um, when no one had work and those who had work was only three-day week. Are we headed to that? I think in many sectors it's inevitable because of where things are going as we come into, I suppose, the off-peak season with people back to school, the tourism sector, etc. But the good thing about the different schemes that are being looked at at the moment and some of them that have been announced it's all about trying to keep people in employment yeah. on the books with their employer in the hope that even though people might have reduced work, that they're still in employment because yeah. it does make a huge difference to people to be still in, in employment, you know, and that's a crucial thing as we come into this off-peak season that is really important for people yeah. to have that security of income. What, what is it that they're looking at so there's a few different elements. One has been announced already and is starting on the 1st of September, and that's a new scheme called EWSS. So we've had a subsidy scheme already in place for employers to subsidise income of their employees, and this new scheme is going to replace the old one, which is finishing the end of August. And the EWSS basically Employment that, Wage Subsidy Scheme. That's yeah. the one, and that scheme is basically designed to subsidise people's wages. So depending on what people earn, the employer gets a subsidy to encourage them to keep employees on the books. Right. And depending on what employees earn, you know, that range differs. But the good news in relation to it is at least it's an incentive for employers to keep people employed. The other good thing about it is it's being backdated for employees who were taken on from the 1st of July. So if you had new or seasonal employees taken on then, it's been backdated. But the major thing is you need to be registered and have that submission in by the 5th of September. So technically by the 4th of September. So that deadline is fast approaching. That will run then this EWSS. That will run until next April. The end of March, absolutely. And be replaced by the, by the, the short term work. How will that work? So basically, I suppose, ultimately now, there's an incentive for the employer to keep an employee on. So they'll get up to, depending on how much um, they're paying somebody, but they'll get up to just over €200. So that scheme, I suppose, means that there's an incentive to keep the employee, you know, employed. And if they pay the employee €400 euro a week or €600 euro a week, they get €200 euro towards that gross wage. So that's a very good incentive. Now, the scheme is... that is, Sorry, in simple terms, Caroline, is that that my boss says to me, look, I can only afford to keep you on three days a week. Will the government then top me up? Is that what it is? No. So what will happen is, so if the employer only has three days work for you, you get paid your normal three days from your employer based on the wages you're on at the moment. The employer gets a subsidy to keep you on those three days. And if you have a shortfall, then you apply for social welfare as you would ordinarily. The old way, in other words. Absolutely. But the good thing is it means that it'll hopefully mean that the employer won't be laying you off 
which is the other option. Yes, so, of course. You know, which means then you would have no work. And there's, I suppose, a lot of talk about this German scheme as well, which is not announced yet, but it's just been talked about. But one of the other really good things about this scheme is that they really encourage training for the days you're not at work. Yes. So again, is, is this the, pro- the, the plan to move to uh, a four-day week in Germany? This is part of that, but their big thing in Germany is about keeping the connection with the employer. So they keep you employed. And again, they top up the wages for the employer to keep you employed and then to provide training for the days that you're not physically at work. So in Ireland at the minute, what we've announced and what we know is definite is the EWSS scheme, which starts on the 1st of September to act as a subsidy. There is no definitive you know, advice in relation to doing any more in line with the German scheme. But I think it's a really good idea because... Yeah. We know there's lots of sectors doing really, really well, like pharma. You know, we know that certain retail, like supermarkets, etc., are still doing really well. But then we know that there's other sectors that are, you know, decimated and, you know, they've really been impacted. So the fact that people have that opportunity to stay in employment and to get upskilled, I think, provides a really good opportunity to keep people off the live register, which is everybody's aim. Because we have been hearing um, week in, week out, as this blasted thing drags on and looks dead set to drag on into 2021, we've been hearing relentlessly there will be a tsunami of job losses in all different sectors. Yeah. Will this, in your experience, will this do something to slow that down? I think without doubt. I mean, there's no question about it. Everybody prefers to be employed than not employed. I mean, there's no question about that. However, for employers at the minute, the forecasting and the cash flows, because they've had such you know, a really challenging year from the start of this pandemic, it's you know, cash flow is a huge issue. This EWSS scheme, when it comes in, and there's a delay in when the employer actually gets the subsidy into their bank account. So again, employers need to put a cash flow plan in relation to that because of that delay, which wasn't there with the previous scheme. But it's a great thing that it's there. I suppose it's the whole idea of, you know, this next couple of weeks and months is to hopefully facilitate employers to do a plan of their staffing requirements in line with their business requirements and retain as many people on the books as they can. Okay, that'll be the key. That'll be the keys. Maybe we might have reduced working hours and reduced working week, but at least you still got a job. Uh, Caroline, thank you very much. That's Caroline McHenry um, from the HR Suite. And that's coming. Uh, The various schemes are all changing. Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection was speaking to the Sunday Times. Uh, Heather Humphreys, the minister, was talking about all these different schemes that are coming in. The Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme will start in September and then that will run till April. And if your place of work still isn't back to normal, then there'll be an incentive to your employer to keep you on three days a week, pay you your normal wages for three days, and then you get the dole for the other two. The encouragement is that you go and get trained in upskilling and something else. Changing times. And in, there's a bit of a pushback, actually, in Germany. Their biggest trade union is a union called IG Metal. And they now are... are um, they're looking to move permanently to a four-day week to keep jobs secure. Um, the, the, the government in Germany wants to cut this short-time working week 
but the union wants everyone, every one of its members, put on a permanent four-day week to, to keep the jobs secure. Uh, it's interesting. 1850-715-996. On the young family that Jennifer saw yesterday morning, remember we were able to establish that they were from Galway and that they were three children, not the two that Jennifer could see from her vantage point. Now, we reached out to various people and people reached out to us and some phone calls were made off the air, both Fergal and Deirdre doing a bit of legwork. But we were able to establish that they got accommodation last night. Uh, the children got a wash, a good meal, some new clothes um, and a place to stay, a warm place to stay, a warm, dry place to stay for last night. So that got sorted. They're meeting then uh, with various stakeholders and experts to discuss a situation in their homes in Galway and there may be a way forward it's it's a very delicate situation, it's a very personal situation uh, but they're meeting with the various individuals who can help them to try to come to some resolution there um, and they were overwhelmed uh, with gratitude that people actually cared so much but the good news is and I'm assuming that until such time as something certain can happen for them. I'm assuming they'll be put up again. But they were put up last night, got a hot meal, got a shower, got some new clothes for the kids. Um, so the, the, the good, great people, the great people that listen to this radio station and that are able to help did just that. So that'll be a nice bit of good news to take into the weekend. 1850-715-996. We do give a damn, you know. We do. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96FM. Now, Dara, you're next on the radio. Talk about speed, speed bumps, speed bumps, and speed ramps. Give me, give me a check. I have a few things to clear, but I'll be with you shortly. Lots of comments still coming in about the sheer size of Phil Hogan's payoff, having left the European Union, uh, the European Union Commissioner's job. Colossal twine, huge dosh altogether. People think he shouldn't be entitled to it. Unfortunately, he is. So, and the street damn all you or me or anyone can do about it, except look at it and go, for God's sake. Also, as we head into the weekend, I was asked to bring this to your attention um, by a very reliable individual, I would call a very dependable source. I was asked to bring this to your attention uh, when you're out shopping over the weekend or when you're in a shop, working in a shop or whatever. The whole face mask thing face covering, call them what you will. Some people are exempt. Now, we've heard that in Tesco, for example, they have a brilliant scheme with this little yellow sunflower lanyard and no one will look twice at you if you're not wearing a face covering, if you have one of these things because it indicates that you're exempt. Other places don't have any way of uh, acknowledging exemption except that when you tell them you're exempt. But I, I was told about an incident that occurred in a shop, a well-known chain store, a branch of a chain store, shall we say, 
where a person who has multiple sclerosis and struggles on many levels and therefore would be exempted from wearing a mask, um, he was given out to by a, a, a cash register attendant, a shop, a shop assistant, for not wearing a mask. And he said, well, I'm exempt, I, I can't wear a mask. He has a, a medical condition. And the person behind the till turned around and said, PJ Coogan said on the radio, face masks are mandatory. And that there are no exceptions. Let me make it very, very clear. I never said that, because it isn't true. So, if you're shopping this weekend, and you are wearing your mask, I'll be wearing mine, because I can. You should wear yours if you can. If you can't, you don't have to. And if you see someone who isn't wearing a mask, bear in mind for a second that they may just be exempted. But don't ever tell anybody, or don't ever hear anybody saying, uh, oh, PJ Coogan said everyone has to wear a mask and there's no exceptions. PJ Coogan never said that because it isn't true. Are we clear? Thanks. Now, Dara, I just wanted to get that off my mind for a second. Um, speed bumps, sir. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. First of Thanks all, me on. how's Riley? He's good. Yeah, he's good. He's uh, he's he's a tough kid. Not a bother on him. He's in he's in great form. What Delighted happened to, to him? Tell people what happened to him. So we were. Um, it was Friday two weeks ago, and uh, my parents had just called and we were inside. Friday evening about six p.m. And my parents had just called and we were sitting down relaxing. And suddenly my, my daughter ran into the room uh, screaming that Riley had been knocked down by a car. So obviously I ran out of the house, uh, adrenaline pumping, I could have run through a wall, I think. And as I came out onto the driveway, I could see my son being picked up and he started walking towards me. He was in front of the car and he started walking towards me. Remind so, us where this is, Dara. This is in Brightwater, Brightwater slash uh, Drake's Point in Cross Avon, okay. County Cork. And um, <clears throat> it's an uh, estate, is it? It's, an, it's a housing estate. Okay. That's right. And I, I guess if I describe the housing estate, so there's a main road, and off the main road, there's a smaller road that winds down through the estate, and then off that smaller road, there are uh, branches, smaller roads again, where all the houses are located. And on, on those roads, that's where all the kids play. Uh, but unfortunately, and I, I mean, if I look at the length of the road I have here now, it's less than half a kilometre, I reckon. Uh, there's probably 20 to 30 kids on the road most of the time. And I, I actually timed it. I got into my car and it takes about 45 seconds to get at one, from one end of the street down to the other at, at 10 miles an hour. But uh, unfortunately, cars, are, they're just going a, a little bit too quickly. And in this instance, they weren't able to stop. Yeah. Now, I should say that the driver of this car was, you know, they, they had their wits about them. And luckily, they were able to stop so that the collision wasn't too severe. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's literally only a matter, matter of time yeah. where, where something more serious happens. I think you see, you see Riley uh, walking away. He's got a few cuts and bruises, a little bit mm. shaken, and you're thankful for that. But I'm sure there's not a moment goes by that you don't think, Christ, what might I have been dealing with? You know, it, it, when I read uh, that story about that poor 
uh, woman in, in Kilkenny, um, uh, Brennan, is it Rosanna? Oh, yes, Brennan? yes, Rosanna. I've, I've talked to Rosanna, actually, yeah. Ja- um, J- Jack was her little lad, yeah. J- Jake, was Jake, it Jake or yes, Jack? Jake, Jake or Jack, one of the two, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I literally, it, it actually uh, gave me a knot in my stomach. It really brought it home uh, just how, how deadly it could have been. I mean, that poor woman. So so it's, it's I mean, it's. I think it's, it's incredible, really. I mean, I guess hindsight is a great thing. And when you first-hand experience, it seems incredible to me now that this isn't part of a, a developer's plan for, yeah. you know, the, by the way, I think the, the developer did a super job of the estate. It's fantastic. But this feels like an oversight. So it's now the, the responsibility of the council, of course. Uh, but it, so, so what is the process? You, you, re, re, you reached out, I think, to the McGraths, to Michael and Seamus, to see could anything be done. I did, and uh, in fairness to Michael, he was he was really good. He, he came by. I sent him a direct message over Twitter, and he came back to me. It was on a Sunday evening. Came back to me almost straight away, which I really appreciated. And he put me in touch with Councillor Seamus McGrath, who has since uh, contacted um, the county council. I think it's Andy O'Brien. I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. Right. County council, just to see what can be done about this. So I'm, I, you know, I'm really grateful that they're giving me that support, and I, I kind of look forward to hearing from from Andy to see yeah. what we can do to make a difference here. There'd be a lot of estates around the city and county. It's just you, yours is a case in point at the moment, but there are lots of, of estates around where you could well do with a few ramps. And what we've noticed from many people, it's so complicated, like this engineers and surveys and lots of men with clipboards nodding sagely in the road before anything actually gets done. You know, that's my, that's my concern. I'm sure if, God forbid, if a young fella or a young girl is killed around here, uh, then action is likely to be taken. And it just seems ridiculous that we have to go that far uh, for things to happen around here. Uh, I mean, surely, surely it can't be that difficult to put a few ramps in, in an estate. Like, you know, I even, it's immediately after the accident, I was talking to some friends of mine. They were saying, why don't you put one down yourself? And I went online and I looked at the cost of them and how to put them in. And I was thinking, you know what, if I was allowed to do it, I'd, I'd happily go out and do it myself. Well, I'd well put there's a just on. the thing. I mean, and I'm not endorsing anybody to do this because it would be against the law. But if you were, if you were a half-decent builder or knew a little bit about DIY, you'd hire a concrete mixer from your local tool hire shop, you'd mix a load of concrete, you'd lay down a little framework in the road, pour your concrete, smooth your concrete, and wait for the wait wait for nature to take its course. Uh, and like PJ, and I'm not endorsing that anyone does that, yeah. but that's how easy yeah, it yeah. sounds, isn't it? It's and it's you know what? It's even easier than that. You know there there's solutions out there. Uh, that you can buy, like like rubber units that you just bolt into the ground. Oh, yeah, I mean, can. it's yeah, it's it's a very very simple job. But obviously, look, it's against the law. It's not something I would ever do. But there, there's no excuse not to not to have something implemented quickly. So, and so Michael McGrath came back to you within minutes. Seamus McGrath is on the case right now. You've, there's something going on in County Hall. This is the 28th of August. When did you? Th- when would you think would be an acceptable time to to see the first bit of work going on? That's a good question. I mean, how serious 
is the you know what happens if we don't do it, PJ? You know, uh, like I, you know, I explain to my my kids all the time about the dangers of of the road, as does every parent, right? Mm. But when a kid is in the height of having fun, that just goes out the window. That just goes out the window. So so that's not going to work. So consider and considering there's kids playing out here every day, and there's cars going too fast up and down the road every single day and by the way you know I don't even blame the drivers I mean human nature is you're late for something you get into your car you go a little bit too fast Mm. it's just we all do it no one ever intended we don't know of course they don't of course they do we all do it all the time and so like we need a a solution where people have to slow down. They have to slow down, and yeah. this is something that works. We know it works. We, we don't want to damage our Actually, you, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned the Brennan case and that yeah. lovely woman in, in Kilkenny who I did speak to myself. Like, how long is she trying to get a mandatory twenty kilometer an hour speed limit in housing estates? It's it's it it is really it's. I just I'm I'm kind of shocked by it. It it seems so, uh, you know. Especially when you're talking about a road where it, there's zero advantage to going any faster down yeah. here, you know, it's it makes almost no difference whatsoever. Yeah. And there's no harm to your car if you're going slowly over it as well. Yeah. You know, it, with regards to timelines, I can't see any reason why we couldn't do this straight away. I know there's a lot of red tape. Like I said, a lot of a lot of men in suits with clipboards nodding sagely. But if the will is there, PJ, if the will is there, if oh, yeah. people like Michael McGrath can get behind this and Seamus McGrath can get behind this, and if the will is in the council to do this, mm. then things well, will happen. Why don't you? This, as I said, this is the twenty eighth of August. Why don't we talk again? Why doesn't yeah. Fergal and Docker Fergal book you in, and we'll talk again? Maybe this is a Friday. Maybe if we talked again in a fortnight to see had you heard anything back. That's, that sounds like a good idea. Right. You know? Let's make that okay. happen. Let's make that happen. I'll give them back to you there, lads. Let's, 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 let's make that happen. Um, so Dara's back with you. Uh, let's see if we can book him in for two weeks today and to see is there any movement in that uh, little plan or that estate in Crosshaven. Now, somewhere or other, I think, Councillor McNugent, you're going to tell me that nothing will happen in two weeks. How long are you trying to get this done up in Nocknahini? Good morning. Hi PJ, and look, it may it may take longer than two weeks for Dara, but if Dara's still listening, I'm sure Owen Fahey's the Sinn Féin representative in the area, and Donna Colera's office will will try and assist him as well. Great. And you mentioned um, Jake's law, which you know from yes, that, thank uh, you, Mick. I'm glad yeah. you reminded me. Thank you. Yeah, there arose from that um, that tragedy in Kilkenny, and I brought that to City Council as well. No. They kind of said, look, 20k, you know, but they did give an impetus to, um, and I presume the county council would be the same, where you can, you can apply um, to the council, you know, to get estates designated as a 30k zone, um, and that comes in with the with the associated signage as well. So that might be just some help um, yeah. for Darren in that estate. That could be worth exploring as well, as in terms of the traffic coming. Probably the same in the county as in the city. You know, the councillors in the area will probably get a small pot of, of funds um, and then they'll get a list of areas for traffic canning and for rents and, you know, and you try and, you try and go where the, where the need is and you can't cover every, over, cover every area. But, mm. you know, that's what, that's, what you're, that's what you're dealing with there. Right? How, long you know? are you, how long are you running this campaign now in Courtown Drive, say, to try and get, get, get traffic canning? How long? 
I suppose the last, I think probably it's been it's been on the table for for a number of years. Um, traffic. I think in the last council, I even put in a, a motion for traffic coming out of your road, and what they did put in was some signage. Um, the issue there is, you know, PJs about the bus route and all that. Um, and it was that tragedy in Nakanhini um, a few months in back. February, had brought, yeah. yeah, yeah, Kelly, Kimberly O'Connor, um, Kimberly, yeah, yeah, O'Connor, yeah, and that's brought a fresh impetus and another one or two incidents as well. And the community there um, have had a number of traffic mm-hmm. calming. But what you're telling me, protests. what you're telling me is that you might as well be doing you know what into the wind. Look, at times it's frustrating, PJ. It is, um, and with the community up there, we. It's on, you know, it's in the system. Um, we're looking for action uh, from the council on this. You know, to, I think it's the fourth protest now this afternoon at Corpus Four regarding at St Mary's on the Hill School in Courtown Drive. And it's be a priority for myself and the other councillors in the area, Kenny Collins. When we go back in September, we will be expecting, um, we will be expecting movements okay. and, you know, have some progress on it, PJ. Okay. It's, and look, it's not you know? just you and it's not just Darren. Yeah. There's places all over the city and county that, that you know, would be looking for, for traffic calming measures and have been baiting their heads off stone walls for, for yeah, a very long there's time. No, there's nothing that could be done as well. You know, the city and uh, the city council is um, it's in this working on this uh, development plan at the moment. I presume the county as well. It should go into that development plans that if any new estate, anyway, is being is being built, traffic county should just be part of it. Mm. Mind uh, you, that should be getting anything done in in a housing estate is is an absolute nightmare, Mick. And 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 good luck to anyone trying to do it. But that's that's how long it's been going on up in the Cork Northwest Ward. Court down drive today at quarter past four. There's another gathering, uh, calling for traffic calming measures. Thank you, Mick. That's Mick Nugent, a councillor. Uh, Sinn Féin Councillor for Cork City North West and Tadara in Crosshaven probably in two weeks time nothing would have happened but we'll check in again uh, and as he makes the very valid point why, why wait until the next child the next child isn't as lucky as Royley was and, and that is so so true the next child might not be as lucky as Royley Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And as regards getting something done in your housing estate, let me tell you this, right? I sound like P. Flynn. Let me tell you now. Let me tell you this, right? My footpath, or the footpath outside Coogan Towers, is still shagged since the big freeze of 2009. It is still in ribbons since the big freeze of 2009-2010. It is still cracked. It's still uneven. I've had a nasty fall off at at least once in the middle of the day, before you ask about my drinking. And I know another people have got a stumble on it and nothing's ever been done. Trying to get something done in a housing estate moves about as quickly as toffee. 1850-715-996 on the family outside St. Patrick's Church Paul says that's brilliant news PJ uh, well done to all 96 well to be fair uh, we only pulled in the resources at our fingertips after Jennifer McKeown called us she called us yesterday morning terribly upset uh, at about 5 to 9 and she spoke to me about half past 9 and by midday 
uh, with something starting to happen for that little family. In case you missed what I said a while ago, if anyone missed it, they were put up last night, they got a shower, they got something to eat, the children got some new clothes, they've been looked after in every way we possibly can for them or other volunteers can for them. And I'm presuming that the accommodation is there for them for as long as they need it while people get together around them to help them with their situation back in Galway. 1850-715-996. Britney Spears is back in the news. Yeah, what, Peach? Britney's, yes, she's still around. Oops, she did it again. She's back in the news. Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah that one. No, she hasn't done anything in Cork, but she is back in the news. We'll catch up with her later. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if you're a child of the 90s, as many of our listeners are, you'll remember Britney Spears, 90s and early noughties, hit after hit after hit after hit. She was one of the biggest things in the world of pop. She was only a kid. She was like, what, 16 or 17 when she had all those number one songs. And, and you kind of think, is that really good for her to have that success at such a young age? And then the poor girl had a meltdown um, and a much publicised meltdown. It all got to her and, and it was very sad to see someone who'd been a great pop star a big huge household name. She was like the, the mini Madonna of her era if you want to put it that way. And then it all went completely pear-shaped on her um, and she had uh, effectively a breakdown. Now we don't hear much of her these days. She's still in the business but reading in Extra.ie and the LA Times and many other places her sister uh, Jamie Lynn Spears has now looked to take over her estate to take over Britney's estate, Britney's money. Britney is a very, very wealthy woman. She's still a very young woman too, but she's a very, very wealthy woman. But Jamie Lynn and herself are now locked in a battle over who controls those assets and that money and it's back in the newspapers uh, Orla Condon is an entertainment journalist with Extra Dollar E Orla good morning Morning Peter how are you keeping? Good we, we do remember Britney's and it was a very tragic meltdown that she had uh, the, the poor girl Yeah I mean like you said she was this kind of huge pop princess she had the world at her feet she was an icon for many people many She was very very season. good at the time as well she wasn't just yeah. always pumped up nobody she was brilliant yeah, she was. And I mean, she's had some absolute anthems over the years that still stand the test of time. You'll still hear them on the radio or out when you're out, when we used to go out for a night out, you hear a Britney God, song and, you know, days. it would bring back the memories and things. So yeah, it was, it was sad. I remember it was around 2007. Manny will remember the pictures of her, you know, shaving her head and, uh, hitting paparazzi's cars with umbrellas and things like that. Like there was a, a kind of a series of months where she was just, it seemed to be this downward spiral until she had this kind of major mental health breakdown. Um, and I suppose she's back in the news now with this Free Britney campaign and her sister looking to take control of, of her assets but it's been a long a much longer tale um, than just that so I guess in 2008 after that very public breakdown uh, a legal guardian was appointed to kind of control Britney's assets her kind of financial assets her estate and her career and that was her father Jamie 
So for the last 12 years, her father has been what's known as a conservator uh, to her kind of wealth and her assets, like I said. Uh, and it's been a long, long story for many diehard Britney fans who have started this Free Britney campaign after they believed that, you know, she was kind of being held against her will in this conservatorship and she wasn't being allowed to make decisions uh, for someone who uh, is now, I think, 38. She is now, like, she went into this at the age of about 26. Um, So she's had no control over those parts of her life for nearly 12 years. And we're Uh, talking talking tens of millions, aren't we, here? Yeah, Brittany, she's worth about $60 million. I mean, she's not by any means uh, kind of, you know, middle class. She's a very, very, very wealthy woman. Uh, and her dad and her attorney, Andrew Wallace, have had pretty much total control over that for the last 12 years. Now, there's been uh, a bit of scandal, I suppose, in, in those 12 years. Uh, you know, a month after they were po- appointed as uh, her conservators, uh, fans became worried because she quickly kind of started working again really, really intensely. She appeared on an episode of How I Met Your Mother, which many people might have seen. Mm. She uh, performed at the MTV VMA Awards, which again was a, vi- a video that went viral because people re- thought she looked so different to what she had done before her, her mental health troubles in 2007. She mm. filmed a documentary. She released an album and that was all within 12 months of of her father being Mm. appointed for conservatorship. She was back touring again, wasn't she? She toured a bit. She was, yeah. I mean, I mean, in those kind of twelve years, I have I have a list of it here. She had, she released two. She released an album every two to three years. She performed in four world tours. She landed multi million uh, dollar TV gigs, like her judging role on The X Factor, yeah. and she played two hundred and forty eight shows. And still couldn't get access to her own money. And she had no access, and and she didn't have direct control over those decisions. It was her father and and her her lawyer Andrew Wallet. Now, mm. last year things started to change a little bit. Uh, she was meant to have a second Vegas residency. Manny will have seen videos and pictures from her Vegas residency yeah. uh, over the years, but she was meant to have a second one kicking off last year, which last minute was cancelled, uh, and she cited her father's bad health. Now, after that, she kind of disappeared off the scene for a couple of months and fans got very worried about her and it eventually emerged that she was reportedly in a mental health facility uh-huh. uh, after, again, apparently she was a place there against her will by, by her conservatorship. Now, her lawyers have uh, contradicted these statements over the years, but it's something that's grown um, concern, I suppose, amongst fans over the years with all these kind of signs of unrest and her not being fully in control of, of her decision making. Yeah. yeah, it's been a really sad tale to watch unfold, especially over the last kind of two years when this conservatorship was due to end at some point this year or be renewed by a judge. So I guess yeah. fans have been amping up that Free Britney movement to try and get some change uh, and try and get Britney out of this conservatorship. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting and, de- and developing story, which is why we wanted to touch base with you. Thanks very much. That's Orla Condon from Extra.ie, the continuing saga of Britney Spears, 30, now that's scary. <laughs> that is sc- 38. I remember being a, a jobbing jock and, and the wedding and functions circuit playing Britney Spears when she was the biggest thing in the world and she was only a tot. She was only 16 or 70. She's 38. God. 1850 Keep in touch with that one. Uh, she's got 16 million in the bank and she can't touch it uh, for herself. She has to get permission to, to, to get at her money. Doesn't sound like fair. Listen, there's a bit of a, a rally going on on the north side of our city to get a couple of lads to America to fulfil their dreams. Uh, and it really would be a dream. Uh, Judy Gibson, good morning to you. Hello. Judy, how are you? Hi, good. How are you doing? Good, good. Now, people would remember 
your dad, Sonny Gibson, uh, the co-founder's ledge. And, oh, and, and, say, yeah. and your son, Danny, has a great opportunity to get to the States to play football. Tell me more. Well, he actually left yesterday. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, himself and a guy, Evan O'Leary from Cove. Right. So both of them uh, flew out yesterday. They were supposed to go on the 16th of August, but the soccer season was cancelled till after Christmas, you know, because of COVID. Yeah. So moving in day is the 6th of September in the college, Bryant and Stratton College in Albany, New York. Right. And they've been absolutely brilliant with helping to sort the lads. They gave them um, a half scholarship, so we have to cover living expenses and the rest of the scholarship. But they've been really good, you know, with payment plans and helping the lads. And, you know, this is what Daniel wanted since he was a little boy, basically. You know. How how old is he now? He's 20. He's he's 20. He's 20. Yeah, he'd done his leaving cert two years ago in Mayfield uh, Community School. Right. Right. And um, then he went to the FAI. They do um, like an education training board. It's sports and recreation. Yeah. So he'd done that in, Car- in Blarney for one year. And then he went to Carrigaline for the second year. That helped him then, yeah. you know, develop into better player. And he was mentally more capable then for the challenges that he was facing, now, if you now, know what I mean. Now, you're trying to raise raise funds to back up the, the, what, what he needs over there, but before I get to that, like, you must be fierce nervous of him flying to the United States to start this whole wonderful course in his life in the midst of a pandemic. I know, I know, and you know, if you saw me in the airport yesterday, I was absolutely in bits, and his sister Olivia, they're very close she was in bits, but you know, this is something like he was supposed to go in March to um, a, a college showcase. Yeah, and he saved. He saved all last year. He was, you know, he's on the um, payment for the course, and he saved his own money. He wasn't going out, wasn't buying new clothes, and the sh- the college showcase was cancelled. Yeah, um, after he paying for it and everything, and that was his opportunity. That he was hoping he would get a full ride scholarship. So all of his all of his savings are gone, and he's managed to get over now. So you're organising some some support for him as best you can. Yeah, well, I was doing um, fundraising. I was doing uh, some raffles. You know, I'd make maybe thirty or forty euros for him. That would all help in in the pot to send him over. And the people, I swear, PJ, the people in Mayfield, the Glen, Mahin have been. Absolutely brilliant. There's people that I know that are even struggling themselves. Yeah. And they'd come up with three euros and five euros. Yeah. And all of this together, it it all meant up. And without these people and without their support, he wouldn't have got to where he was going because all my other kids are involved in sports as well at a high level. And I've been making trips to Dublin with Olivia and... You know, there's, it's, so, it's, so you managed to actually, you have actually managed to get all the money. No, we haven't. We're 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 doing a payment plan, right? So we're you know we're making the 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 monthly payments, but basically it wouldn't even be about the fundraising. It would be to, to highlight that you have these two lads, and with all everything that's going on in the news about gangs and all the all the young guys that are getting up to all sorts. 
that these lads had like sacrificed for the last year to, to, to follow their dream and follow the heart. And I just think it's admirable and I just think that people should know there's good guys out there. Ah, yeah, and you know you what? Know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you make that point. You know, and the payment plan is great. And if everyone keeps helping with the payment plan, it'll be, it'll be all great. But the most important thing is, is he's there. He's quarantining. I take it. Um, he is, yeah. Um, and they have to do um a, a COVID nineteen. They have to do the test mm. before they go to the college. Right. So right. I'm I'm lucky that I have family over there. So they've arranged all that before oh, before he gets to um, the college, and they're going to help him with. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk to him before he's a star. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he. Hopefully, he will. You know, this this is this is what he wants to do. Like he went into first year in um, Mayfield Community School. You know, you have this meeting with the um, with the teacher or the headmaster before yeah. the the child starts. You know, and. I'll always remember that, you know, the headmaster said, and Danny, you know, what books do you read? You know, who's your favourite author? And Daniel was like, oh, well, sure, look, I, I play ball, I play soccer. And he's like, but, you know, you need to read now and you need to, which is fair enough. You do need to read, you do need to concentrate in your education. And Daniel was like, but I want to be a soccer player. And he's like, but you know, there's only ever one more team come out of Mayfield. And I said, yeah. I said, but, you know, there's no reason why another one one Roy Keane and one Danny Gibson well there you go there you go there you go you've had a lot of help I know you particularly wanted to mention people like Michelle and Fiona and Breda yeah like 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 these people who are going through their own heartbreaking you know stuff that's going on in the background these people have rallied I mean really rallied around to help Daniel and, you know, like I said, the fibers, the tenors, people have come yeah. to the door with cards when he was going away with the tenor, you know, with with, with $5. Yeah. And these, it, it really adds up. And I swear, PJ, the, the kindness that people have shown Daniel. Yeah. And he's a good lad. You know, when we come out for our own, there's nobody like us in the world, Judy. I'm going to well, have to stop it there because of time. No but thank you so much and well done and congratulations and best of luck to Danny, Danny Gibson and to Evan O'Leary from Cove, also over in the United States. And yes, we will catch up with them and we will follow their careers. That's just a lovely bit of good news to finish up what's been a rough old week. It has indeed. But every rough old week comes to an end. Today on the Executive Research Desk, Fergal Barry edited the show. Doc Martin was behind the glass. And we'll see you Monday, just after nine. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.